You know, one of the most eye-opening ideas for me over the last 10 to 15 years is the idea that God is already ahead of the church, out in the world, working through people, all kinds of people, to bring healing and wholeness to the world. Uh, Leslie Newbegin calls this idea the previousness of the gospel. And the reason this idea was so significant for me was because it took the pressure off of me. Uh, as a pastor, right, I was no longer responsible then for achieving God's purposes in the world. Right? That was God's responsibility. God was at work doing what he purposed to do. What I was responsible for was becoming aware of where and how God was at work and then joining God, both myself and uh, the church that I was leading, joining God in what God was already doing. The question, of course, is how do you become aware of what God is doing? Well, in this episode of Spiritual Life and Leadership, Marcos Mujica explains how the process of neighborhood exegesis can help churches not only get to know their neighborhoods, but also discover where God is at work and how God may be calling them to join him in his mission. Uh, it is a great interview and lots of great ideas. I'm Marcus Watson, and this is episode 24 of Spiritual Life and Leadership. On last week's episode, I was with uh, Marcos Mujica, and in this week's episode, I'm with Marcos Mujica again. Hey, Marcos. Hey, Marcus. How are you doing? Uh, doing great. Good. You and I uh, actually uh, never even stopped talking to each other because we just finished recording <laughs> the last episode two minutes ago. Uh, but hi again. Uh, yeah. Um, so Marcos, uh, by way of reminder, is the president of Agrarian Craft, which is a landscape construction uh, business and uh, does regenerative agriculture. And you can learn all about that on last week's episode. But um, just real quickly, Marcos, just kind of remind us uh, what Agrarian Craft is and, and what you do. Yeah, so at the at the present moment, our brick and mortar uh, revenue stream is through doing landscape construction, mm -hmm. uh, just to make ends meet. Uh, but uh, we are rapidly transitioning to solely focus on regenerative agriculture and producing and distributing uh, organic, nutrient rich uh, seasonal produce here in San Diego, San Diego County, and we also want to empower, train, and send out other farmers here in the county to do the same. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's so cool. And uh and uh, I just encourage anyone who hasn't heard last week's episode to listen to that uh, cuz it's really just inspiring and uh, really cool to hear the kind of ministry that Marcos is doing through agriculture. Um so let me ask you just one uh, kind of get to know you question uh this week since uh we asked a few last week. But what's the most formative book or books that you've ever read? Yeah, so there's probably two books that have had uh, quite an impact on me. Uh, the first one is a book that I had mentioned in the previous episode uh, by Ellen Davis from Duke Divinity School called mm -hmm. Scripture, Culture, and Agriculture, uh, how to read uh, particularly the uh, Hebrew Bible through an agrarian hermeneutic. Mm -hmm. um, that That book has really uh, influenced me uh, to read the Bible with new eyes, 
uh, and to see uh, the work that God is doing, not only uh, within humans, but really throughout all of creation. Mm. Uh, I highly recommend uh, the book. Cool. And uh, the second one is a book that it has a bit of a dark and uh, gloomy title. Um, mm. It's called Torture and Eucharist, uh, written by uh, William Kavanaugh, a Roman Catholic theologian. I believe he is in Minnesota, and uh, uh, he writes about uh, the Pinochet regime in mm. Chile uh, mm. throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Um, and he writes about how particularly the church in Chile uh, not only uh, supported and facilitated Pinochet and his rise to power, but also thereafter the church's resistance uh, to his uh, mm. regime. And um, it's a it's a it's a tragic but also beautiful book about um, how the church ought to be engaging with the powers that exist mm. uh, for uh, for establishing God's kingdom here on earth. Yeah, and that. Uh, probably is a meaningful book for you because your heritage is from Chile. You're, you're Chilean by heritage. Yes. Is correct. that right? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yes. My, my mother and father uh, were both immigrants here from Chile. Wow. So Very I, cool. Uh, my dream oh. is to one day uh, live in Chile and okay. farm in uh, Northern Patagonia. Wow. Um, but uh, we'll and you see visited there, right? You visited. Oh yes. Right. Yeah. I've been there a number of times and okay. I've gotten backpacking and hitchhiking uh, oh. throughout the Paradera Austral and also in the Northern Lakes region. Wow. It was That's cool. Yeah. Very cool. Well, um, let's talk about exegeting our neighborhoods, um, which is something that you have a lot of experience with and a lot of, uh, expertise in, if, uh, if I may put it that way. Um, why don't you, uh, well, and you had mentioned last week uh, to me that there's a connection between the work of agrarian craft and that that kind of a uh, uh, lifestyle um, and uh, exegeting the neighborhood. Um, so why don't you tell us kind of what that means? What does exegeting the neighborhood mean and what's the connection between um, the agrarian work that you're doing? Yeah, so um, for those who have been formally trained uh, for ministry in either a seminary setting or a Bible college, uh, the term may be familiar to them. Mm -hmm. uh, exegesis is um, the, the the process by which we derive meaning out of texts mm -hmm. uh, in contrast to, say, eisegesis, mm -hmm. where rather than taking meaning out of the text, we are imposing meaning onto it. Right. Uh, and so... Uh, exegesis is fundamentally about reading. It's about mm. uh, reading the narrative that is displayed before us. Mm. And uh, texts uh, can be not only in books and digitally on web pages, uh, but I'm convinced that uh, our neighborhoods are telling us a story uh, if we are willing to to listen and mm. to read. Uh, what is going on around us. 
Um, there's various levels of narratives at play in our neighborhoods. Um, and it just depends on how broad and how far back you want to go in mm. reading the story of, of your neighborhood. Yeah. Um, more often than not, churches find themselves in these very strange places uh, where uh, perhaps the church was founded maybe 50, 60, 70, 80 years ago mm-hmm. uh, at a time when their neighborhood was radically different than what it currently is today. Yeah. And they find themselves as aliens in their very neighborhoods, mm. unable to uh, relate, interact, and engage with their neighbors. Yeah. And so um, I uh, take churches uh, through the process of uh, rediscovering and reading their neighborhoods once again so that they can engage with their neighborhoods in a manner uh, that Jesus taught us to engage, yeah. uh, essentially to proclaim that the kingdom of God is, in fact, at hand. Yeah, at hand meaning present it's close by right it's here among us and within us is that is that how you would say that definitely yeah the the kingdom is imminently growing uh i like to use the language that uh the kingdom has been inaugurated Mm. Uh, it's already here but not complete yet um And so, um, yeah, some some authors and theologians like to say that we live in the time between times, mm. uh, where uh, where the existence of the body of Christ um, is uh, essentially an eschatological foretaste of what is yet to come. Uh, mm-hmm. So we should be uh, living expressions of the resurrection mm-hmm. and not just waiting for what is going to happen uh, when the trumpet blows. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and so how does exegeting our neighborhood help us discover the kingdom of God among us? Yeah, so when we read in the Gospels, um, uh, Jesus, uh, by his very nature, is contextual, right? Mm. Uh, Jesus is the Word incarnate. The Word became flesh. And words, by their very nature, are uh, participating within a language. Uh, God revealed himself to us through Jesus in a particular language and body so Mm -hmm. that we can come to know him. Um, And if we are charged with that same message uh, to incarnate the gospel in our respective neighborhoods, but we're unable to communicate with our neighborhoods, how will we accomplish the task? And so I take churches uh, through the process of reading their neighborhoods, diagnosing their neighborhoods, and discovering what God is already doing there and how we can partner with God uh, to uh, see his kingdom come about. Yeah. Um, And so what does that process look like when you're meeting with the church and uh, uh, yeah, how, what what do you do with them? You have a leadership team, I imagine, of some kind, and then you, what do you do? What do you tell them? What kind of activities do you do with them? Yeah, so um, we do uh, a few different things. Uh, uh, first, I think there is uh, a, a level of education that needs to be done. Uh, I find more often than not, 
church folk uh, have a very narrow perception of what salvation is. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, um, there is a fairly large contingent contingency uh, within the American church that doesn't even really believe that the kingdom is already here. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are dispensationalists that believe that the kingdom is something that is going to happen uh, uh, um, during the millennial reign. Uh, right. But the kingdom right now is not something relevant for the church. And I adamantly disagree with that theology. Mm -hmm. I think that theology is incredibly destructive and harmful because Mm -hmm. uh, it teaches us that the earth is going to burn. And so uh, let's all abandon ship and let's say our prayers because uh, our only hope is the rapture. Um, And I definitely disagree with that. So there's a level of education that needs to be done at the beginning uh, to teach people uh, what Jesus's ministry was in fact all about, and also the cohesive thread that was then passed on uh, not only to the disciples uh, in Luke 10 and in Matthew 10, but also thereafter to the early church, the commissioning of the same ministry uh, to proclaim that the kingdom of God is in fact at hand and to embody uh, that kingdom. Uh, And once people have come to see uh, our, our, um, our mission that God has given us, then thereafter we turn our attention to their neighborhood. Mm. Um, I like to, to triangulate, um, essentially uh, three different sources of information in the process of reading uh, a particular neighborhood. Uh, The first form of information that I employ is uh, data that is already readily available on the internet. Hmm. We have so many resources uh, at our fingertips through census data, uh, through Google and a number of other resources that we can begin to paint a quantitative picture of what our respective neighborhoods look like. Um, second source of information that I use thereafter is, uh, history. Uh, I like to be able to go back and understand the history of a particular neighborhood Mm -hmm. of how it was, um, uh, at one time, uh, uh, possibly conquered uh, mm. and taken over from the indigenous natives peoples that may have called that place their home originally. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like to then thereafter uh, see the long history of how a particular neighborhood was developed, mm. uh, how it was built, who moved in, why they moved in, what types of industries existed there at one particular time. Um, and, and, um, because that really impacts why things are the way they are today. Yeah. Um, And then the last source of information that I employ is then uh, interviews um, where we will go out as uh, as a team and interview uh, people that Jesus calls the people of peace. Mm -hmm. Uh, He tells his disciples uh, to go into these towns and into his into these villages and to look for the people of peace and to stay with them, uh, to partner with them, because these are people that God is already using in these neighborhoods to accomplish his will. It's not as if we are bringing the gospel for the first time. Uh, God has already been at work in these 
neighborhoods long before we decided to do anything. Yeah, right. And so, um, so we create an inventory of the people of peace in a particular neighborhood, mm. uh, uh, and we begin to interview them, and then we ask them for people that they would say uh, are doing good in a particular neighborhood, and we interview them. Uh, so that then, between these three sources of information, uh, quantitative data available on the internet, history, and also directed interviews, mm. uh, we can begin to understand um, the assets of a neighborhood, the problems facing neighborhoods and the needs of neighborhoods hmm. so that we can discern how God wants to use the church in that particular neighborhood. Yeah. Wow. So, uh, data readily available on internet. So that's easy to come by, uh, relatively. I mean, you have to do some Google searching maybe, and there are probably some, uh, uh, organizations or companies that you can purchase, data from, uh, if necessary, and then history of the neighborhood. So how do you go about finding that information, the history of the neighborhood? Is it all just internet information or is there more? How do you, how do you do that? Yes. Yeah, so some is definitely available on the internet, but, um, there are a number of historical societies, um, that, um, find themselves in particular neighborhoods. Um, and so I encourage people to, uh, uh, to use those resources that already exist. Um, there's uh, a historical society in almost every town that I've been to, to learn about mm. those particular places. Okay. Um, and then also sometimes there's overlap. Uh, uh, so in some of these directed interviews of people of peace, um, right. these are people that may have lived in that particular neighborhood for a long time, right. and they can tell us the story of how things came about. Right. And uh, how do you – so say more about finding these people of peace. Like how do you go about finding them? Uh, do you just walk around the neighborhood, or do you – people who that you already have relationships with, or is it like certain – uh, business owners or council members or um, school principals or teachers or, or what? Yeah. How do you go about finding the people of peace? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I'll use an example of an exegesis that I did where I um, essentially parachuted into a city that I had no prior experience or, or knowledge of. Hmm. Um, I was invited to help a church in, uh, Three Rivers, California. Are you familiar with that place? Mm -mm, no. So Three Rivers is a tiny little um, town on the foothills of the Sierra uh, Nevada mountains mm -hmm. on the southern end of it. Um, it is the, the entry or essentially the gateway for the Sequoia National Park. Um, it's in the uh, Central Valley and, uh, it's a tiny, tiny little town and it's called Three Rivers, uh, because there are literally three rivers that pass through the town. Hmm. Um, and, um, in, uh, beginning to create an inventory of the people of peace of three rivers. Mm -hmm. um, I interviewed members of the church and I began to ask them, please give me the names of people that live in this community that you would say are doing good work. People mm -hmm. 
that are encouraging and helping bring about the shalom that many of us long to see in this world. And so yeah. people within the church start to give me the names yeah. of, uh, of, of city council members, of the police yeah. chief, yeah. of the school superintendent, uh, 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 leaders of local nonprofits. And sometimes it's even just a resident of the city mm-hmm. that is an exemplar volunteer and that is engaged in many community organizations. Yeah. Um, and so um, it's the process by which we um, then aggregate data and information from the church and then from the people that they mention, I ask them the same question um, so that we can begin to map people within a particular community that are doing good work. Hmm. Um, and, and so do you do the interviews with the people of peace or do, do you take people from the congregation or do you charge the people in the congregation to do these interviews? How do you, how do you go about with doing that part? Uh, it's, it's both. And it, it really depends on the desire of a congregation and, uh, how engaged they want to be, uh, as much as possible. I encourage the church, uh, to do the interviews uh-huh. so that they get to see and experience these things on their own rather than me submitting to them a report. Uh, but, you know, some I have had experiences where uh, churches or a denomination has contracted with me to do the exegesis for them and then just okay. submit a report. Okay. Um, I have found that in those situations, um, uh, the the ex the report is not 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 as valuable to them. It's just a right. document that they read, right. but they didn't really contribute uh, to the formation of that document. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. when they are engaged in the process of doing these interviews, walking their city streets, meeting new people, they are invested into this report. And it's not just a dead document, but then it's something that's going to propel them into mission. Yeah. Um. Okay, good. So data on the internet, history of neighborhood, interviews, and then and then what? So then you have all this information, and then what do you do next with, with the church? Well, then we lay it all before the Lord, and we pray uh-huh. for discernment and to ask God, how ought we engage okay. in our neighborhood? Um, every neighborhood is different. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when, when, when we're doing these exegesis, mm-hmm. we are... Uh, paying close attention uh, to disparities in particular neighborhoods and communities. Mm. We're paying attention to the needs and the problems of a community, but we're also paying attention to the assets of mm. a community. Yeah. We want to know what is already working. Right. Um, there's an acronym that I like to use. Um, it's, it's ABCD, Assets-Based Community Development. Uh, mm. Oftentimes when we want to uh, do something good in a particular community, uh, we want to only address the problems. We want to solve problems. We want to address needs. But um, uh, there are oftentimes good things already happening. Why reinvent the wheel? Why not support the things that are already working? And so um, identifying assets can be the first step towards supporting the things that are already working rather than reinventing the wheel. Yeah. Um, uh, all this reminds me of uh, Leslie Newbegin, who talks in one of his books, it might be The Open Secret, I think, he talks about the previousness of God, um, right? In other words, that God is already ahead of us. Um, he's already previously at work. And our our job really is just to discover 
what God is already doing, and then we we just join God in what God is already doing. Uh, and so I love it. So, you know, what is God already doing in our neighborhood? That's part of what you're exegeting. You're uh, uncovering or discovering what God is already up to and th- through which people is God already at work. And let me ask you this question. Do they have to be Christians, these people of peace? No, definitely not. Hmm. Definitely not. Um, you know, I, I believe and this expression of prevenient grace um, that God's goodness and God's creative power is displayed in all humanity and that sin has definitely corrupted that image, uh, Uh but has not been completely lost. It has definitely not been completely lost. So there are people out there that may or may not necessarily know Jesus yet, but they are doing good things. Yeah. And I, I love it. Uh, you know, I love the idea that uh, God God is not limited to working only through Christians. Um, God is uh, God can work through any human being that He has created, which includes every human being. <laughs> All right, exactly. um, no one yeah. is beyond the scope of God's power uh, to work through them. Um, no one, you know, and and I, I in in that sense. Um, <clears throat> I guess there's an irresistibility to God's grace. Um, I don't think, oh, well, anyway, we won't get into all that <laughs> right now, but, yeah. but, uh, but I think there is an irresistible, like if God chooses to work through someone to bring some healing and wholeness into a community, God can choose anyone he wants to. He doesn't have to use the pastor or the missionary or the worship leader or the Sunday school teacher. God can use, uh, you know, that, that a farmer, a farmer. Yeah. A farmer, a principal, <laughs> exactly. uh, a business owner, yeah. you know, or an employee yeah. or a fast food worker, you know, <laughs> I can work through anyone. Exactly. So anyway, so, all right, well, good. I, what kind of, res- I do have a, yeah, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. I, I, I do have one particular other, um, uh, um, element of neighborhood exegesis that I'd like to oh, touch okay. on that I think is yeah, yeah, go for it. Go kind for of it. important go here. Yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd mentioned earlier that uh, an exegesis is essentially a reading, right? So right. We're, we're extracting meaning out of a text. And um, well, there are various narratives at play within our particular communities and in our neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Um, there are micro narratives, the n- stories of individual and specific people, but then there are more meta narratives that Mm. tell the story of a nation and how that nation impacts uh, the lives and experiences of people within a very specific community. And um, uh, we ought not be ignorant to the meta narrative at play um, within this, within this nation and also throughout the entire globe. Uh, Mm. And so it's important to be able to observe how that meta narrative is impacting the lives of ordinary people every yeah. single day. Yeah. Um, we lose so sight the of that. Meta narrative. Yeah. Excuse me. Uh, it's, it's easy to lose sight of that. We're part of a big, a bigger narrative, a bigger, a bigger story. story. Yeah. 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 And um, you know, there's the, the most meta of all narratives is definitely God's story. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there are other larger stories at work in our midst that I think, um, uh, uh, we need to be aware of and actively trying to, uh, redeem them. Yes. Uh, so say for, say for instance, um, if you look at, uh, population growth, um, you know, the human race 
lived at a particularly stable population rate until the Industrial Revolution, mm. until the human race began to experience an exponential growth curve. Mm. Uh, and now today, here we are at about 7.7 billion people, um, the vast majority of which live in cities. Mm -hmm. uh, demographers um, that study human population growth are telling us that the vast majority of the human population will live in cities in the very near future. I mm -hmm. think we are already at about, I think the most recent numbers tell us that 55% of the human race lives in cities. Okay. And so if we want to be thinking about how to be doing ministry, we need to be more better equipped to be doing urban ministry. Yeah. The planet is going to be increasingly pop, uh, populated, yeah. more and more crowded, and more and more urban. Yeah. Um, so we need to be thinking about that. We need to be talking about and thinking about how city life impacts our health and how cities are built, how they're being developed. Um, there's something called the urban heat island effect where scientists have discovered and are observing that the temperature of cities is radically higher than areas that are not developed, more rural huh. communities uh, at a time when uh, climate change is increasingly causing more and more extreme weather, mm -hmm. we ought to be thinking about how to green cities, mm -hmm. about how to plant more trees, about how to do urban farms. Yeah. Uh, I think those are all very important things that we ought to be thinking about as we are reading our particular cities in our communities yeah. and to ask ourselves, God, how do you want us to engage? Yeah. Um, which leads me to, to a question. Uh, what do you, what kind of resistance do you encounter? Or do you encounter any kind of resistance, uh, either resistance to the idea of having to exegete, like the importance of exiting uh, your neighborhood, but then maybe even the results, like the outcome, what you learn once a neighborhood has been exegeted or is being exegeted? What kind of resistance have you seen? Um, in your work with churches? Yeah, the vast majority of the resistance comes from the church itself and not from the community, surprisingly. Mm -hmm. um, oftentimes, communities and neighborhoods are excited and more than happy to partner with a church. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, churches have become... Um, uh, um, almost like a fortress. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Where people are seeking shelter mm. uh, from the scary world out there yeah. uh, rather than... Um, rather than actively seeing themselves as people that are being sent into yeah. the world. Yeah. Um, and so when churches are learning uh, about hospitality and how, about how to engage with their neighbor, neighbors, mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes I am confronted uh, with xenophobia. Mm -hmm. People are scared of people that are different than them. Yeah. Uh, people are scared of people that don't speak the same language as them. Yeah. Um, and so, as you and other pastors most definitely know, that our congregations are fearful of change. Uh, they don't want to be disrupted, and they want to maintain, oftentimes, the, the status quo. Mm. Uh, but in our increasingly secular and post-Christian nation, um, if we are not uh, spreading the gospel and growing, uh, we will become nothing more than empty tombs, yeah. uh, essentially museums yeah. to what 
once used to exist. Yeah. And so what what qualities would you say that uh, churches and church leaders need in order to first exegete well their neighborhoods and then beyond that to then engage well with their neighborhoods as they have discovered their neighborhoods to actually be rather than what they might have imagined them to be? So what, what qualities do churches and church leaders need? I would say the most foundational and important quality is a prayerful and expectant posture. Mm. Uh, to pray and to ask that God would show us and reveal to us our neighborhood afresh, mm. that we would see our neighborhood with the eyes that God has for it. Mm. Um, and then to expect to see those things, to expect to have uh, essentially serendipitous or God encounters in our neighborhoods. Yeah. If we don't believe that God is actively at work in our neighborhoods, um, then we're never going to be able to engage with them. Yeah. Um, I, ironically, um, I, I, I would say that most Christians in our nation are actually not very Christian at all. Mm. Uh, we, I, I would compare most Christians in this nation to uh, what, what some would call deists. Mm. Deists believe that God uh, was the watchmaker. He mm. wound up this watch and then allowed it to continue to function indefinitely mm. from a distance without really interacting with the world. Yeah. But that's not what we believe. That's not what the scriptures teach us. The scriptures teach us that God is actively at work in this world. Yeah. God is the main character in this story, and we are participating with God in it. Yeah. And so without prayer and without expectantly waiting to see God at work, we won't be able to participate with him. Yeah. Wow. That's good. Um, and, uh, and challenging, um, and maybe hard to hear, uh, in some ways for some, mm. some folks. Um, let me ask you one more question, uh, before we finish, you had mentioned, um, either at the beginning of this episode or maybe the end of the last one, that there was a connection between this idea of neighborhood exegesis and the work that you're doing with agrarian craft. What's, what's the connection there? Yeah. So I, I spoke earlier about these meta narratives at work. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, you know, the merit, the meta narrative that I've been reading in my experiences that I've seen uh, to be a cohesive thread throughout all of the communities and all the cities that I've been to is that number one, um, population is increasing. Mm -hmm. um, number two, uh, population is concentrating itself in cities. In dense urban areas. Mm -hmm. The future of not only this nation, but also this planet is going to be increasingly crowded and urban. Um, in the midst of that, we are going to find ourselves with a host of problems that city dwellers find themselves with, uh, health problems, environmental problems. And unless the church is adequately equipped and prepared to address those problems and to offer solutions, uh, we are going to be unable to exemplify God's kingdom here in our midst. Yeah. And that's why I'm convinced more than ever before um, as a means of not only doing economic development, but also uh, encouraging public health, uh, we need to return to a more agrarian way of life, mm -hmm. uh, not only for the sake of the planet, but for our very health. Um, and so uh, that's why I've transitioned now into 
uh, starting not only uh, my own farm, but a network of farms in urban areas to feed urban areas and also to sequester carbon out of the atmosphere. Um, I'm not sure if you or others know this, uh, but the number one way to mitigate climate change today uh, is not through driving less, though that would definitely help. Uh-huh. Um uh, but the biggest way is to cultivate bioactive soil, huh. soil that is rich in bacteria, because huh. bacteria, they are hungry. They huh. need food. <laughs> uh-huh. And their food is, in fact, carbon. And carbon is what is clogging the atmosphere and creating these greenhouse gases mm-hmm. that's insulating the earth and raising our temperatures. And so these bacteria in bioactive soil have the power uh, to be able to sequester carbon out of the atmosphere and fix it into the soil. Wow. Imagine if our neighborhoods and our cities and our communities were, were landscaped yeah. and they were beautiful, there were more trees, yeah. there were urban farms, the overall temperature of these places would lower, we'd have microclimates and we can begin to combat climate change yeah. in that yeah. way. So that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, th- I feel like I want to say, so I've known you a long time and some might hear what you're saying and, and, and say, oh, he's just being alarmist. But I know you and you're not an alarmist <laughs> kind of a person. It's an invitation, right? Um, the reality is, yes, the population is growing and populations are being centered more in urban areas. And so since that's our reality, how can we best be restorers of shalom um, in this reality, right? And that's that's kind of what you're uh, working to, to do um, through agrarian craft, um, right? 100%. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, it's not like... Um, you know, just like King Solomon tells us, uh, there is really nothing new under the sun. Yeah. And uh, when people want to accuse me or others of being an alarmist, mm-hmm. uh, I, I like to say that we should have been alarmed a long time ago <laughs> because we all have this inherent problem and it's called sin. Yeah. And it's not only destroying ourselves, but destroying the very planet that we live on. Yeah. And so um, there should be a fair amount of alarm within us, but we also should also be incredibly hopeful yeah. because there is a God who is at work in our midst yeah. and there is a God who has been at work long before any of us wanted to do anything in this world. Yeah. Amen. Hey, um, if, uh, do you have any resources, uh, that you can point people toward in terms of exiting our neighborhoods and, uh, agrarian craft kinds of things? Yeah, so if you want to uh, be learning some things about these meta narratives that I was talking about, there's a demographer uh, from, I believe he's out of UC Irvine. Uh, his name is Mike Davis, and uh, he writes a book, Planet of the Slums, and uh, he is projecting uh, human population growth and urbanization rates worldwide. Uh, very, very important book that I think we ought to be paying attention to. Mm. Um and then um, there is a, uh, a theologian um, out of, um, I believe he's either Azusa Pacific mm. or Biola. I think it's Azusa Pacific. Okay. And his name is Michael Mata. Okay. And uh, he teaches a lot on uh, exegesis of neighborhoods. Okay. And uh, my mentor, uh, the Reverend Dr. Jamie Gates, professor at Point Loma Nazarene University, uh-huh. uh uh, is close friends with him and has also been teaching a fair amount on the exegesis of neighborhoods. Okay. And that's where um, I've learned a lot. Oh, okay, him, great. So. 
Okay, cool. And uh, one more time, uh, how can folks connect with you if they're interested in connecting with you? Yeah, so they can uh, check out my uh, website at www.agrariancraft.com. And there they will find links for our Facebook and Instagram page also. Awesome. Marcos, again, thank you for... uh, what you're doing uh, through agrarian craft and through working with churches, exegeting their neighborhoods, and um, you know, helping helping folks participate with God and God's work of restoring shalom in the world. Thanks for what you're doing. My pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate it. Can you imagine if every church really got to know their neighborhoods? Can you imagine what would happen if every church really, truly became aware of what God was already doing in their neighborhoods? And just think what would happen if every church actually started participating in the work that God was already doing in their communities. I don't know about you, but I think it could change the world. (laughs) Uh, I'm so grateful for the work that Marcos is doing Uh, Not only the work that he's doing through his company, Agrarian Craft, but also the work that he's doing with churches, helping them to discover what God is up to in their neighborhoods. If you'd like to connect with Marcos, you can find him through his website, www.agrariancraft.com. And you can also find him on Facebook and Instagram, uh, again, by searching for Agrarian Craft. Well, I'm so grateful uh, that you have been with us again for this episode. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you next time here on Spiritual Life and Leadership.